You can grab your Bibles and open up to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. The sermon comes first for now in the service. Usually during worship, I've got these like nervous jitters because I don't want to forget everything. So I'm kind of worshiping, but part of me is like, remember the sermon, remember the sermon. Now I don't have to worry about it because I get to preach, then we get to worship and I feel like a free man. I'm just saying. <laughs> so turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. If you'd like to take notes, you can use the app. You can go to the uh, Anchor Payless app and then click on the service for today. There will be a fill in the blanks if you scroll down. Or if you're up, if you plan ahead, there's actually um, a note sheet and you can print it up, a PDF that you can print it up. Did you print it up in advance? Bravo! Did anybody else print the notes up in advance? We should give, you know what, you get an extra iced coffee outside after the service, all right? Congratulations. Uh, but yeah, come prepared to listen, to learn. We really believe that God is doing special things in our hearts, in our congregation during this crazy time. And so uh, be sure that you're taking notes and you're just listening for the Lord. The series is called Glory in the Church. The sermon is called today, Put on the New Self. Today, the, the uh, contrast between the new and the old is the image that flows throughout the text. If you have been born again by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are new. But you're going to be tempted every day to put on that old self and to act like the old person, right? So this idea of old and new is something that's very easily identifiable. Um, check it out. Here's a pair of shoes. I want you to find the shoes that are old. Do you think, can you figure it out? The shoes that are old are very obvious. There's the old, there's the new. Here's the next picture. There is an old phone and a new phone. We, when we see old and new, we get it. Here's the next picture. The old car and the new car. <laughs> so we, time has an effect, and therefore if we trace the effects of time, we can see the new and the old. Now listen, spiritually, uh, there is the old. Us before Christ, the old, right? And then there is the new. Today the Bible is challenging us to put on the new and to put off the old. Um, and so we're going to learn what it means to live the new life in Christ. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be sovereign over this sermon and over your church. I pray for those who are viewing online. I pray for them, that you would meet with them in a powerful way. Even though they are in uh, solitude this morning, for whatever reason, may you be close to them. May you minister to them through your Word. And I pray for those who are here today live. I just pray that you would manifest your presence to us through your word for your glory. Teach us what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, are you in Ephesians 4 verse 17? Uh, we're learning about the Christian life because that gives Christ glory in the church. Here's what it says in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. The word Gentiles there, specifically it means anybody who's not Jewish. So if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. But actually, spiritually, it means anybody who's outside of the family of God, who's outside of the law of God, who's outside of the faith of God, okay? So if, if you're a Christian, you would be included in the people of God. But anybody who's living an ungodly lifestyle would be called a Gentile. So we are not to walk no longer, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They're darkened to their understanding, 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. The sermon's two points. It's split in half. We're told what to not do, and then we're told what to do, right? So here, write this down. Number one, walk away from worldliness. Walk away from worldliness. It says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. We are to walk away from a worldly, ungodly, godless, faithless frame of life. We are to walk away from that, and we are to no longer walk like them. This means every, everything about our lives, our speech, what we're, what, you know, what we're watching, where we go, who we're hanging out with, like everything about the worldly life is that walk toward destruction. The Christian life is a walk of honor. It's a walk of glory in the Lord Jesus. When you look around, you see the world. You see a lot of people who are living in a worldly way. They're shameless. They have no fear of God and no desire to know him or to follow his law. And the trouble is, when you look around at these people, you're tempted to walk like them, to live like them. When you look at Hollywood, you want to be like a celebrity. When you look at Washington, they've got power and authority. When you look, uh, when you look at Wall Street, they've got money, and, you, and you're tempted to want to live like them, to be like them, to look like them. When you go to YouTube, you see people who, anything they put online, millions of people want to see, and you're tempted to want to be like them, and think like them, and talk like them. It's very tempting to walk in a worldly manner. But the Bible says we must walk away from that lifestyle. Walk away from worldliness. This means at one point in time in your life, you have to make a decisive break once and for all and say, I'm not going that direction anymore. And then every day you've got to wake up and say, I'm not going back to that anymore. Why? Jot this down. Because their minds are darkened. Their minds are darkened. It says they're darkened in their understanding. Their minds are darkened. Just before that, it said, in the futility of their minds. So there's futile, darkened minds. Futility means vain, purposeless, absurd, and worthless. Why can't I live like them? Why can't I act like them? Why can't I? Because it's vain, absurd, purposeless, worthless. And we're not to walk like that anymore. It says they're futile and they're darkened in their understanding. So that means they're either like covered in darkness or their sight has been taken. Darkened meaning they're blinded they're blinded in their understanding. Here's a picture of the blind leading the blind. And when you think of a worldly way of life, God's verdict is that's where they're going. That, that's where they're going. They, sure, they might win awards. They might do interviews. They might seem fair. They might have a lot of things, right? But this is the end of their story. They're darkened. They're blinded. And they won't find God's best. They're trying to understand and explain everything in the world, including its brokenness, including the emptiness of life, including the strife and the suspicion and the deception in relationships and the corruption in the world, but they lack the light of truth and wisdom so they can't see, and therefore they just grasp about in the dark. Their minds are darkened. So listen, Christian, don't walk like that anymore. 
Listen, Christian, don't live like them anymore. Listen, don't live like them anymore. Walk away from worldliness because their minds are darkened. Jot this down. Because their hearts are hardened. Their hearts are hardened. It said they're alienated from the life of God. We'll come back to that. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. So their hearts have become hard. That doesn't mean anatomically, biologically. Here's a picture of a heart of stone, okay? This is, this is not, a, this is not what, it, what it means, right? Your physical heart isn't becoming hard. Saying that they have a hardened heart means that they have a disposition toward God and toward others that is selfish and unloving and, and unrighteous. So they've got a hard heart toward others and toward God. They refuse to love God through Jesus, and they instead willfully oppose the life that God has for them. They, when it comes to other people, they won't build humble, mature relationships. Instead, they're immersed in drama and, and suspicion and, and, and biting and devouring one another. They have hard hearts. When it comes to a hardness of heart, that means their moral posture is just closed off. It also says here the hardness of their heart and then it says in verse 19, they become callous and have given themselves up. So you know what a callous is, right? If you, if you do a lot of yard work one day, you, you, know, you get blisters and, and then you develop a callous on your hands. If you know somebody who's worked hard with their hands all their life, have you ever shaken somebody's hand? And it's, it's like you're shaking hands with a rock. You're like, whoa, what did you do for a living? And their whole hand is just hardened, right? We have friends from Papua New Guinea, our uh, missionary friends, the Croslands, and when they come in town, they come up sometimes to camp at Silverbridge, and the kids run around without shoes on all day long, barefoot, and they, they run across rocks. They, it doesn't matter, and all the other kids are like, whoa, doesn't that hurt? And they're like, no, it doesn't hurt at all. And meanwhile, we're all like, ow, ow, ooh, ow, er, er. They don't care because they don't feel pain because of the calluses on their feet. Now look, when you've got calloused feet, that could actually be helpful. When you've got calloused hands, that could actually serve you well. When you've got a calloused heart, you've got a big problem. You've got a big problem because it means that the hardness of your heart is closing you off to God and other people. And look, their hearts are hardened. And so we are supposed to realize that we are not to live like them anymore. Notice how it says here that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. The truth is we all start on the same path and it's the wrong one. This is true even if you were raised in a Christian home. Your heart is bent on walking away from God, on resenting his rules and restrictions, on wanting what you want when you want it. And your parents try mightily to discipline you and turn you to the Lord. And for some of you it happened, and for some of you it didn't, if you were raised in a Christian home. But the point is, we all started on the worldly way of life, where our desires and our passions were drawing us away from God. And then there comes a point when we have to turn to the living God and begin to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that He called us to. And so because of that, He doesn't just say, don't walk in a worldly way. He says, no longer walk, meaning you were going the wrong way. You turned around, and now it's time to not turn back. Walk away 
from worldliness because their minds are darkened, because their hearts are hardened. Jot this down. Because they're given to impurity. They're given to impurity. It says in verse 19, they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You bring those three words together, sensuality. That can specifically refer to like lustful desires, like being inflamed with lust for other people. Um, But it can also just be generally the passions of the flesh, to want what the world is selling you. Greedy could, of course, mean greedy for money, greedy for stuff, but it could also just be this craving to want it all and then to practice every kind of impurity, meaning these are dirty things, these are dark things, these are worldly things, these are warped things that everything within us wants more and more and more of what the world is pouring out because they're given to impurity. So the description here is of worldly people who are committed to unrestrained, excessive, filthy actions flowing from a polluted, fallen heart. And the Bible says, Christian, don't live that way anymore. I've told you recently that we got a new puppy. His name is Cosmo. And so I try and give a little update each week about the puppy. I call it a pup date. Okay, it's a little pup date on the puppy. Cosmo's adorable. Our first dog, Spencer, has really short hair. So he gets dirty, but not all the time. New dog, Cosmo, has this long, flowing, like gorgeous, thick hair, and he's always getting filthy. He finds ways. He loves digging in the dirt. He loves laying down in the wood chips. He he loves finding ways to get dirty, right? Now, his newest way to get dirty is the tops. I mean, this is like next level. He went outside yesterday, and... um, We have those citronella candles to ward off the mosquitoes that you put on the table. So he went out yesterday, and um, the kids had actually knocked over the citronella candles. Well, when it's a thousand degrees out, the candles had melted. So it was the citronella soup, you know? So the citronella soup got spilled onto the patio, and then my son tried to, you know, hose it down. It, It turned it into this, like, citronella napalm, like this gelatin wax stuff. And what do you think the puppy did when he saw that? Well, happy day! What is this now? And he goes running through it, right? They got him out of it quickly. But then when he came back inside, do you know what happens when melted citronella soup napalm gets on hair and then hardens again? It turns into this part wax, part gum, part glue poison that smells like oranges. And what do you think a puppy wants to do then? So suddenly I'm like, Lauren, red alert, red alert, puppy in peril. And we had for an hour, maybe a little less, we had to hold him down while he was whimpering. And all four pups, the two in the front were the worst, one in the back, had this stuff caked on it. And Lauren had to give the puppy a little paw haircut to get all the napalm poison glue off of his paws. And so he was just like, what are you doing? You're being so mean to me. And we're like, trust us. It's for your own good. We don't want you to die. (laughs) Now look, take that picture of someone plunging in to this like toxic poison glue-like wax that they get all over themselves. That's a picture of the world. They are plunging into an, an unlimited amount of filth that smells kind of good and they can't get enough of it and you can't get it off of them. 
And the Bible is like, Christian, don't you even think about it. Don't you even think about it. And we have to ask ourselves, in what area in our lives are we given to impurity? Are we looking at, oh, that, that would be fun. I, I kind of want to go out in there too. Those people look like they're having a good time. And it doesn't smell so bad. Christian, we have no business plunging into the impurity, the toxic impurity of the world to get that filth all over us again. And write this down. Because they're alienated from God, walk away from worldliness because their minds are darkened, their hearts are hardened, they're given to impurity, and because they're alienated from God. Look, this is how people act when they don't know God. They don't know God. It says, uh, it says in verse 18, darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God. They are separated from God. They are excluded from God. So, so when they plunge themselves into the toxic filth, it, it's understandable. But when we do it, it's inexcusable. They don't know God. And listen, make no mistake about it. So many times today, people look all around and they, they see people living with unrestrained passions for every form of sin, financial corruption, sexual sin, relational strife and brokenness. And people are like, well, you know, I mean, they're just living life their way. And they act like there's no difference between a person who is trying to live a consecrated life and someone who is throwing themselves to the world. Make no mistake about it. They are alienated from God. Listen, they don't know God. And therefore, we can't chase after them in their ways of life because we do know God. They don't serve him. They don't love him. They don't trust him. They don't fear him. They may have a different God that they've defined in their own mind. Oh, yeah, I, I, I like God. Oh, I'm religious. I'm spiritual. But if their description doesn't match who God revealed himself to be, then they've simply crafted an idol in their own heart. And that's not the true God. But they don't know God. And here's the thing. We didn't either. We were wired to walk away from God. We had our tantrums and our fits and our moments where God called us to turn around. And if you're saved and you follow Jesus Christ, there was a point when you had to turn around. And then you began walking away from the world. And the Bible says, don't turn back. Hey, is God convicting you about a place in your life where you're turning back? Where, where you're just getting yourself all messy? Where you're craving something that you know is wrong? Where you're indulging a relationship that you know is sinful? Is, is there a, a pattern or a habit? Is the old you coming back in a certain area? Do you feel ashamed or guilty? <clears throat> Do you feel like God is saying, why? Why are you looking at that? Why are you reading that? Why are you talking to that person? Look, look, we don't live that way anymore. Why are you emulating that person? Why are you idolizing that person? Why are you following that? Look, we don't live like that anymore. This is a call to consecration, to setting ourselves apart from the world once again. Put on the new self. Walk away from worldliness is the first point, number one. Number two, you can write this down. Instead, walk in newness 
of life. So it says in verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're to put off the old self. That means the way we used to live like the world before we knew Jesus. And we're to put on the new self. This is, this is clothing imagery, right? So put off the old and put on the new. So imagine if you opened your closet and someone had given you an entire new wardrobe of the most expensive clothing that could be bought online. And you are standing and behold, the shoes, the, the shirts, the accessories. Who did this? And then imagine you saying, well, I've got something else in mind. And you go over to the hamper and you dig deep all the way down in the hamper and you grab a pair of socks. And then you dig even deeper in the hamper and you grab a shirt. And then you go all the way to the bottom and you find some pants and you put that on. What is everyone in your house going to say? You stink. <laughs> the idea of putting off the old and putting on the new is that clear. And yet we're tempted to get back into the old way and to put on those habits, to talk like that, to live like that, right? When God has provided for us a rich new wardrobe to make us look like him, like children of God. Walk in newness of life. Get out of the hamper. Jot this down. It starts when you make Jesus your life. It's all about a person. Jesus is the person who gives us life because he is the life. This is so important to understand. Christians aren't different than anybody else. We're not better. We're, we're just as fallen. We're just as sinful. We're just as guilty. But our founder is perfect. And it's our founder who gives us life that can be found nowhere else. So if you've made Jesus your life and your truth, he transforms you to become like him. This isn't a, this isn't a challenge to try harder, to do your best, right? This is a challenge to actually be transformed. Something happens to you because someone else is at work in your heart. Make Jesus your life. Have you invited Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord? Have you asked him to wash you clean of all of your sins, to give you a new wardrobe and to take all the old laundry away? He will. It says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The promise is, if Christ is your life, you get to go to heaven. You get to be in glory forever. It says in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is a description of someone whose life is Christ. And look, if you're trying to be worldly, if you're really attracted to the ways of the world, you're giving Christ the bare minimum. You're giving him like Sunday morning and maybe, maybe a little devotion once a week, but you're not sold out for him. You're really chasing after the ways of the world. That's, that's your energy. That's your identity. That's your life. That's your craving. And it shouldn't be that way. Make Jesus your life. Give it all to him. A pastor once said this, Jesus isn't an addition to your life. He's an alternative to your life. 
He's not like, I'm going to keep walking that same old dirty way, but I'm going to put a Jesus pin on. You know, no, no, no. You turn away from all of that, and he becomes your life. He's everything to you. This is called salvation, and I have to ask you, are you a person who's been born again through faith in Christ? It only happens once in your life. A lot of people get this wrong. I'll say, hey, do you know you're going to heaven? And they'll say, well, I think so. And then I'll say, well, why? If St. Peter met you at the pearly gates and said, why should I let you in? Uh, what would you say? And top, top answer on the board is usually this. Well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. And I always say the same thing, and it always puzzles people. I say, do you know that the Bible says that good people don't go to heaven? What? Good, like they never, good people don't go to heaven? Yeah, good people don't go to heaven. And then, you know, you just kind of let them think about it for a minute. They're like, well, well then who does go to heaven? <laughs> the answer is, do you know? Saved people go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Because the truth is, there's no such thing as good people measured against God's standard. Jesus said, only one is good. And if there's this many that's good, it ain't you. It's him. And therefore, we need a savior. Are you a saved person? Early in our church's life, we had one of our first membership classes, and we covered the gospel. We talked about Jesus, and we talked about being saved. And I said, do you have a story? And um, a couple stayed after. Their names were Roy and Lauren. They stayed after. And I said, hey, guys, you, you want to talk about something? And they said, yeah. We heard you say that you need to have a story, and we don't think we have one. We don't think we have a story about when we got saved. And so one of our elders and me, we sat down and we talked them through the gospel. Jesus came into the world. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross to take away all of your sins. He died, and then on the third day, he rose again in triumph over death. Then he ascended to the right hand of the Father in front of all the eyewitnesses, and he now rules heaven. And the Bible says that it is by grace that you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so they said, wow, that's fantastic. And I said, well, look, if you want to ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord right now, you can. And then you can get baptized and show everybody that you're a Christian. And they said, let's do it. And so right there, we prayed and they asked Jesus to be their Savior. They were born again. And then from that point on, they still come to our church. They've been growing in faith. They've been growing in a knowledge and understanding of the gospel. They're becoming more Christ-like every day. But listen, a lot of people get this backwards. They think life is about doing your best to get to a higher place with God, more faith, more, more religion, and then in the end, they, they think they're going to find out if they did enough. Well, do I get to go to heaven or not? That's backwards. You find out at the front end if you're going to heaven, if you say, I can't get to heaven, Jesus save me. Then you know that you are going to heaven. And then the rest of your life, you're not trying to earn God's approval. You're not trying to do enough. You've already been saved by God's love. So you spend the rest of your life serving him out of love and gratitude. Too many people go through this world like, oh, God's taking away my fun. I can't go anywhere with my friends. I can't do that with them. I can't watch that now. There's all these rules. They don't understand. This world is passing away, falling to destruction. But the one who lives for the will of God will live forever. God's leading you on a road to paradise. Eternal bliss. Now, I don't care either way if you're on your way to heaven like this. Final go, 
I'll do it God's way. All right, I'm, I'm good with that. At least you're going the right way. But really? Fine. Paradise forever. Fine. No more sins. Fine. And you're looking over your shoulder at all those people having their fun. Really? Christians, though, isn't this what we do? Isn't this what we, we feel like we're missing out? Right. Make Jesus your life because only he can take you to paradise forever. Hey, are you a saved person? If so, have you been baptized to show everybody that you're saved? We're doing a baptism service September 13th, our outdoor service in September. You can get baptized. We'd love to talk to you about it. So just let us know or fill out the form on the website for a prayer request and then write in there that you want to talk to somebody about baptism. Make Jesus your life. Now write this down. Be renewed in your mind. Be renewed in your mind. In verse 22, it says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So there's a putting off, which means we have to put off anger, put off deception, put off lust. We've got to put those things off, and then we've got to put on the new love, compassion, kindness, godliness, right? We've got to put on the new. This is called sanctification, this means God's ongoing work to make us more like Jesus, right? More like Jesus. And this work is never done in this life. You might feel like there's still more for God to do in your heart. Join the club. Sanctification doesn't end in this life. God will always have something more to help you with, to work on. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that when I got saved, God didn't give me the whole list of things he wanted to improve about my life. Oh my goodness, how depressed would I? If he gave me a list, it was longer than Santa's naughty list, right? About all the things that I've got to get better at. Well, I would have been crushed. Instead, he focuses on a few things at a time, challenges you in the moment. Each day, he gives you a little challenge to move you forward. And then if you follow him, your mind is renewed. The spirit transforms your mind, but it takes time. And that, that will happen every day. When my daughter... Ellie was younger. Both my daughters were younger. They were like maybe four and two. Uh, my daughter Ellie hit her sister, Cassie. She hit her sister. And we were like, why did you do that? And Ellie, very funny, she goes like this. I don't know. Satan. Again. <laughs> the old blame Satan card, right? Growing up in a Christian home. Satan. Again. Maybe you feel that way right now. Maybe you feel like you're really stepping in some puddles, right? Maybe you feel like spiritually you've really gotten into a mess, and maybe you're like Satan again, right? Hey, join the club. You're going to be poked and prodded and tested and pushed and tripped and trapped this whole life. But the question is, are you going to walk in newness of life, or are you going to get back on that worldly way? You've got to be renewed in your mind. And I've got hope for you. The reason why you might be feeling that God is pushing you on something or challenging you on something or convicting you on something or even exposing something in your life is because he loves you like a father. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Sometimes you see people who flaunt, flaunt, their fault, flaunt it. You know, they've been stealing from their company forever. They've been looking at filthy sights forever. Oh, nothing bad's ever happened to me. And you know what that tells me? God's not parenting them. And do you know why? Because they're not his. They're not his kids. 
you want to have a really fun day, go to Walmart and start parenting other people's children. I got this, Mom. You will respect your mother. You... <laughs> Take a video and show it to me, okay? <laughs> God doesn't parent kids that aren't His the way that He does those who are His. And if you feel, I can't get away with anything, thank you, God. Thank you, God. He's always on top of me. I yes. Yes. It's a father's love. That's a father's love. What do you want? You want him to sit in front of a TV and put his feet up? Say, go ahead, live however you want. I don't care. Go ahead. That's not love. Be renewed in your mind. If, if you are determined to go against the current and to follow the world and you neglect the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the church fellowship of God, you will plunge again into the worldly habits. You'll be corrupted, you'll be deceived, you'll be ensnared, you'll be trapped, and you will pay dearly for it. And then at the end of that, stroll down memory lane with the world. Again, you're going to turn around and say, what am I doing? What am I doing? Maybe, maybe that's where you are in life right now. What am I doing? Why am I living this way? God has such a better plan than this mess that I've made with my life. Walk in newness of life. Make Jesus your life. Be renewed in your mind. And then it says this, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So write this down. Be an imitator of God. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God. This is true righteousness and holiness. Meaning we're learning to imitate God more and more and we're learning to imitate, mimic, resemble the world less and less and less. Listen, if, if you're rifling through photos and videos and all day long and you're like, oh, I wish I could be like them. Oh, I wish I could sound like them. Oh, I wish I could look. And you want to imitate the world. That's not going to end well for you. But if you're looking into God's word and you're like, man, I wish I could be like Jesus. I wish I could act like him. I wish I could sound like him or these other righteous examples that I've been given. I wish I had the courage like them. I wish I had the faith like, I want to be like them, right? That's the way we're supposed to walk. We are supposed to resemble God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're supposed to walk in newness of life and therefore resemble God. Now, Facebook is pretty smart, right? I think it's a little too smart. You ever feel like Facebook is like spying on you, like, like following you and like all this? And one of the reasons I know Facebook is a little too smart is Facebook will find pictures that have been posted online and it will look for me in those pictures. And then if it thinks it's found me, it will, it will show me a picture and say, we think we found you. Should we tag you in this picture? And first of all, I'm like, what are you doing looking for me in everyone else's pictures? That's a little creepy, stalker. But then one of the funny things that comes from this is Facebook apparently can't tell the difference between me and my daughter Cassie. All right, so whenever my daughter Cassie's picture goes on Facebook, Facebook immediately is like, we found a picture of you. And if you look at pictures of me when I'm younger, we kind of look alike, but check it out. Facebook thought this was a picture of me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> is this you, Ryan Hall? In fact, you can see up there, it tagged me with Ryan J. Hall. I'm like, um, here's another picture. As soon as this picture got posted and we did Night in Bethlehem, uh, you can show the next picture. Facebook was like, do you have the next picture? Did it get frozen? Well, there's one more picture. There it is. Facebook is like, is that you, Ryan? Is that you? And it tagged me in that picture. 
Why? Because the resemblance, whatever, whatever digital magic it does, it's like we found a match, which I think is adorable. <laughs> but when all Cassie's friends suddenly find out that they were with me in a picture, they're a little weirded out by that, right? I love that, though, because that idea of the resemblance, the wait a minute, you remind me of something. That's what, that's what Christianity is all about. We're supposed to go through this world, and people are supposed to be like, you remind, you're, you're like one of those, uh, you remind me of God, you're like Jesus, you're like one of those Bible, you know, we're supposed to re- resemble righteous people. But sadly, that is terrifying to many Christians. What many Christians want is they just want to fit right in with the world. They just want to look like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, so that they're not distinguished. And look, I just, I just want to ask you, if, if, you're, if, if your ambition is for people to not even know that you love Christ, I would just challenge you on that. Walk in newness of life. Make Jesus your life. Be renewed in your mind. Be an imitator of God, proudly bearing the name of Christ, flaunting, listen Christian, flaunting that the last thing you want in this fallen, polluted, filthy, condemned world is for everyone to think you're just like them. That should be the last thing you want after Jesus came into this world to save your soul. Yes, I'm different. Yes, I'm godly. Yes, I'm heaven-bound. Yes, I know truth. Know that about me. You should proudly say that to other people. Be an imitator of God. So here's the challenge. Walk away from worldliness and walk in newness of life. Last verse, 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this, He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to no longer live for ourselves or for others, but for you. Jesus, you alone died in our place to take us to heaven forever. You made the ultimate sacrifice because you love us. Help us to be conformed to your image and likeness. May we be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I pray for anybody who's in this room or who's at home watching right now, who knows that they need a change. They've always been the same old person, fallen, sinful, guilty, ashamed, broken. They've never known the peace of God. And maybe today is the day that it's been made clear to them. They need a savior. And I pray that they would ask right now in their own hearts that they would say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, become my life. Jesus, promise me heaven forever and pull me out of this God-forsaken world and make me something worthy of eternal life. Father, I pray for those Christians who have, however they've done it, plunged themselves back into the sewer of the world, pick them up, clean them off, set them on the right path again, and reassure your love for them. Never will you leave us, never will you forsake us. Where there is weakness, bring strength. Where there is greed, bring contentment. Where there is lust, bring love. And I pray that you would fill us, clothe us with the very majesty of heaven so that others might look into our lives and see you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.